there. Welcome. Thank you for letting us into your space today. We just want to let you know that we have a lot going on during this holiday season and coming into the new year. So we encourage you to check out our website, cccgreeley.org. Also, please like and subscribe to our channel and that way you can see more messages coming out. Um, And if you are listening on the podcast, we do encourage you to subscribe to that and that way you can hear more content when it comes out. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to all of you who are here. We're so glad that you are are, um, gathered, that we are gathered here to worship the Lord in this season. It's hard to believe that we're just two weeks away from Christmas. Uh, We have a great Christmas Eve service planned. It's going to be an hour-long, family-oriented worship experience that we we hope will bring the Christmas story to life. And there are also going to be lots of fun activities happening in the lobby with a hot chocolate bar and all sorts of just fun things. So come um, before and uh, the service, enjoy a little bit of that. And please invite friends and family. We have an invite card you can use on the tables. Just grab some of those later as you leave and invite um, people to come. And just a reminder, our Saturday night service um, on the 23rd will not be happening because everything's going to be happening on Christmas Eve. Um, and then we're into the new year. Like, that's crazy too. Um, I personally love the start of a new year and the opportunity it provides for us to refocus spiritually, and we have some really cool opportunities planned for that, including a three-day fast starting January 8th, and each evening of that, January 8th, 9th, and 10th, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to have a spiritual engagement opportunity um, here in the sanctuary each evening, and then starting the week of January 15th, our entire church is going to be going through what we are calling the intimate God experience. So we're going to take eight weeks and we're going to explore some spiritual, some core spiritual practices that we can build into our lives to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus, which is a huge passion of mine. So for the past couple of years, I've been working on a book to make some of these um, these ethereal concepts, you know, to make them more practical and accessible to people. And so the book, The Intimate God, it just came out last week. Um, it's available for a discounted price in the lobby this weekend, or it's available on Amazon, all that. More details uh, will be coming about that whole journey will be coming in January. So I am so excited about what God has in store for us as a church in this next season. So we are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in one of the most beautiful and often quoted passages in the entire book of 1 Corinthians, and it's chapter 13. So we're taking the four weeks of Advent to explore this chapter together. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul articulates a definition of love. It's like he takes a high-precision microscope to the concept of love, and he tells us what he sees. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. He gives us this detailed analysis and description of what genuine love looks like. Now, the reason he does this is really, really important for us to understand. He, he brings up this subject not just so that his words could be quoted at weddings 2,000 years later. No, he brings up this subject of love because the Corinthians were having some relational problems. They were arguing with each other about which pastor they liked best. They were bickering over some theological gray areas. They were, they were arguing over spiritual gifts. There was all this relational tension and conflict happening, and, and just like in our society today. 
I mean, leading up to Thanksgiving, I don't know if you saw these, I saw some articles in various news sources just kind of coaching people on how to do Thanksgiving meal without getting into arguments, um, topics to avoid. I mean, there are just significant levels of relational conflict happening in marriages, in, in families, in work environments, in friendships, in schools. We long for relational connection, and yet we often find ourselves struggling in our relationships. And this is why Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 13 are so relevant and they're so important for us to look at. Paul literally gives us a pathway out of this mess. He shows us how to rise above all the relational tension that we find ourselves in and instead to cultivate deepening relational connections. And that pathway is all about love practicing love, not just singing about love or, or talking about love. The key to healthy relationships is found in the actual practice of love, actually doing it. So the heart of this passage is found in verses 4 to 8. I'd like us to begin here by reading this out loud together. It's such a great passage. So let's read this out loud together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is such an incredible description of love. So last week we looked at three positive characteristics of love that Paul mentions in verses four to six. Love is patient, it's kind, and it always rejoices in the truth. When, and we talked about that last week. When we practice those three things, we, we literally we pour love into our relationships. Well, today we're gonna look at these same verses, verses four to six, and we're gonna explore the five enemies of love that Paul also mentions in this passage. Five specific things that will undermine our relational connection with others. First enemy of love that Paul mentions is envy. Envy, Paul says in verse four, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. So what is envy? The actual word that Paul uses here is a Greek word from which we get our word zealous. That's literally what this word means, to zealously desire something that we don't have. Now, here's what's fascinating. Paul actually uses this exact same word in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, but he uses it in a positive way. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul urges us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit. It's the same word. So you, you don't have a particular spiritual gift, and you want to operate in that gift. Paul says, awesome. Eagerly desire that gift. But in personal relationships, this zealous desire can become something destructive because it opens a door for envy, for jealousy. We want something that this other person has. We want their spouse. We want their looks. We want their personality. We want their income. So rather than admiring and valuing these things in this other person, we want those things for us. And that desire can quickly turn into envy, an insidious poison that will undermine our relationships. Why are more and more 
scientific, social research studies showing that social media use often results in increased levels of depression, anxiety, and feeling bad about ourselves. Why is that? It's because on social media, people are presenting their highlight reels, their best selves. They take 10 selfies and then choose the best one, the best pictures of their amazing vacation, their incredible new home, their perfect children, their awesome spouse. And we're looking at that thinking, man, I don't look like that. My spouse doesn't take me on a overnight getaway, you know, somewhere. Our family can't afford a vacation like that. My child didn't get a sports scholarship. See, it is an endless stream of other people's highlight reels compared to our real life. No wonder it makes us feel depressed. Uh, it, it's like a fuel source for envy in our hearts, zealously desiring what we don't have which inevitably causes us to distance ourselves from this person. And, and if left unchecked, it allows hatred to seep into our hearts. Look at how James says this in the book of James in the New Testament. Look at this, very bluntly, typical James fashion. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You covet, same word Paul uses in th verse, uh, chapter 13, envy, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. I mean, this, James is saying, look, the, the, the root of so many conflicts is actually envy. You want what you don't have, and it causes fights and quarreling. So what's the antidote to envy? Well, it's cultivating gratitude and contentment. When, when I find myself comparing myself or being jealous of someone else, it helps me to look around and to be grateful for what I do have to make a list of things that I'm grateful for and to take time to actually think about and allow my heart to celebrate those things in the presence of Jesus. When our hearts are filled with joy and contentment, envy has no place to attach itself. We are free to love without comparison. The second enemy of love that Paul mentions is pride. Verse four, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. See, pride and boasting are, are kind of two sides of the same coin. They're both, you know, manifestations of the same thing, an elevation of ourselves. So pride in a relationship, pride enters into a conversation or a relationship with a foundational heart posture. I am the most important thing here. The sin of pride is the sin of elevating ourselves. It's about puffing ourselves up. This is the boasting that Paul refers to. Pride is manifest when a person in a relationship is always, is always focused on looking good in the eyes of others, letting people know how smart they are or how wonderful they are or how hardworking they are. I mean, do, do you see how pride and love are actually incompatible? They're incompatible. Pride is focused on ourselves. Love is focused on the other person. See, Paul's point is that when pride and boasting are brought into a relationship, love is going to hightail it out of there. See, people may tolerate a boastful, proud person, 
but they don't want to get near them. They don't want to get to know them. They don't want to go deep in a relationship with them. They may tolerate them, but they don't want to get close to them. And this, this is the irony of pride. We bring pride into our relationships because we want people to notice us. <laughs> we bring pride into our relationships because we want connection, but it ends up actually doing the opposite. It, it ends up creating a wall, a barrier between us and others. So pride creates disconnection in our relationships rather than connection. So what's the antidote to pride? Humility, right? Humility. It's in realizing that we don't have to prove anything to anyone. We are completely loved in Christ. See, a Christian has access to a humility that the world doesn't have access to. See, we, we can be humble because we, are, we know we are completely loved in Christ, period. If I know I am completely loved by Jesus, I don't have to impress anyone. I don't have to work really hard in my conversations to convince you how amazing I am. I don't have to do that. I don't have to make sure that I get valued by other people and what they say about me. I don't have to regularly drop into conversations, you know, things to highlight how whatever smart I am. I'm, I'm actually free to love others because myself is out of the way. I love how um, uh, um, late Pastor Tim Keller defined humility. He, he wrote that humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Oh, I'm such a bad person. You know, it's, it's not putting ourselves down. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. That's humility. It's thinking of ourselves less. It's the freedom to focus on someone else because we know we don't have anything to prove. We know we are loved and seen by God. So when I know I'm loved by God, I'm actually freed to focus on someone else because I don't need something from them to affirm me. All right, humility is the antidote to pride. The third enemy of love that Paul mentions in this passage is dishonoring behavior. Paul writes in verse five, it, love, does not dishonor others. Now, some translations will translate this, love is not rude. What, what he's saying here is that love honors another person. It values the other person. It treats them in an honoring way. Okay, so how do we dishonor others? Well, one way is through the words that we use. Are our words honoring and encouraging? Do they build this person up or are they dishonoring? Do they tear this person down? Some of the most profound and um, helpful research and insight into Relationships, especially marriage relationships, has been done by a guy named John, John Gottman. Um, I refer to him often because his research um, in, in books are just so helpful, and they fit within kind of the biblical perspective on relationships. Anyway, Gottman spent like 30-plus years, he spent decades watching married couples interact he would videotape them and then watch them later and they interact in these labs and just try to figure out what is going on. And after watching thousands and thousands of hours of couples interacting in just con normal conversation and then seeing where those relationships ended up, he began to identify some consistent patterns in marriages that were headed towards divorce. And he called these indicators the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, so the first indicator of a marriage that's headed in a wrong direction is criticism. 
It's criticism. It's using words that dishonor another person. We, we focus on what we don't like about our spouse, and that naturally we're focusing on that. Oh, that's so irritating, right? We just focus on that, and that naturally just begins to spill out in the words we use. You are so lazy. You are so self-centered. And it's even worse when we say these things in front of other people. So rather than actually having an honest conversation about something that frustrates us, hey, you've been late the last three nights, could we talk about that? Rather than having a, an honest conversation, we stuff it when it happens, and then it just comes out in criticism and shame. We shame our spouse. Why are you so, why don't you, it's dishonoring. Our words are dishonoring. And it has a huge impact because the person on the receiving end of that on the receiving end of criticism like that, they're gonna either end up becoming angry and critical themselves, so it's gonna escalate, or they're just gonna shut down. They're just gonna withdraw. Their heart's gonna shut down and withdraw relationally. I mean, why try to connect with this person who's always criticizing me? I'll just go to my room or whatever. So dishonoring someone through contempt-filled criticism can do significant damage to a relationship, just with our words and any relationship, not just marriage, just our friendships, our roommate, our, a fellow student, a fellow employee, a neighbor, a teammate, I mean, just any relationship. So what is the antidote to dishonoring, the dishonoring impact of criticism? Delight, delight, choosing to focus on what delights us about this person, what we like about them, what we appreciate about them. And then we actually express that. Thank you so much for doing that the other day. It meant so much to me. I so appreciate you cleaning the dishes last night, whatever it is. We make a list of the things that we value about this person. And then we take a few minutes every day, we just focus on that. Because when we shift our focus from criticism to delight, the, the relational impact can be dramatic, seriously. It's like a shift in an atmosphere, in a relationship, by just choosing to honor a person. The, the other way this word was used in Paul's day, I did a little research on it, it was also used dishonoring, that it was used to talk about sexual behavior, to dishonor someone sexually, which is rampant in our society today. I mean, it's rampant. The statistics are disturbing and heartbreaking. The number of women, 25% of women, who have been um, sexually abused or uh, had unwelcome sexual advances. All the, the, the percentages are just ridiculous. But this is just, it's so rampant in our society, just unwelcome sexual comments and advances, viewing people as sexual objects, using people for our own pleasure. See, love and lust are not synonymous, even though our culture communicates that they are in all sorts of ways. They're not. They are polar opposites. They are polar opposites because lust is all about self, using this person to get what I want sexually. Love is all about the other person, what is best for them. Love honors and elevates the other person, including their body. So let me just say, if you're in a relationship where you feel unsafe or you feel like you're being dishonored, I would urge you to get help to see a counselor, it is not okay to be mistreated and dishonored. It's not. And on the flip side, if you're in a relationship where the other person is saying they don't feel safe with you, 
That's a big deal. I urge you to resist getting angry and defensive and instead to actually explore what they're saying, to see a counselor and explore why people around you feel dishonored and unsafe because love does not dishonor others. A fourth enemy of love Paul mentions in this, these verses is self-centeredness. Now, this sort of bleeds into the other enemies of love, but Paul does, he specifically highlights this. Look at verse five. It, love, is not self-seeking. See, this is the antithesis of love, of genuine love. Genuine love is about putting the needs of someone else before our own needs. And Jesus is the premier example of this, right? Here we are in Advent, where we celebrate the reality of a Savior who came to earth for us, who put aside his agenda, his comfort, and he became a man. And then he voluntarily gave his life for us on the cross, dying in our place. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. It looks like God the Son voluntarily dying for a crime he didn't even commit so that we could experience forgiveness and life in him. Love is not self-seeking. It puts the needs and interests of others before our own interests. Paul articulates this in more detail in a letter he sent to the church in Philippi. So check this out. This is such a powerful passage. Look at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, those two verses are like the playbook for healthy relationships. Seriously, that's what genuine love looks like. Not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Being willing to set aside our agenda, our desires, for the sake of someone else. Now look, this, I know this feels like a really tall order. This is big. This is hard. So where do we even begin to practice this? I have a suggestion in terms of an opportunity that all of us have multiple times every day. One of the best Places, one of the best ways to practice this kind of love is through listening. Listening to another person is an incredible gift of love. The problem is a lot of us don't listen well because good listening is not self-seeking. Good listening focuses on what the other person is saying and being curious about what they just said and asking questions about what they're, what they're saying and all that. That's what good listening looks like, but it is rare. It is rare, especially in our culture. It is rare to find good listeners. It is really easy to find good talkers. It is really easy to find people who love to talk about themselves and let everyone know what they think about what's going on in their lives, all that. There is no shortage of that. What is unfortunately more rare is to find someone who is a good listener, who takes a genuine interest in what another person is saying. See, every conversation we have is an opportunity to practice a love that is not self-seeking. So when I talk about listening, I'm pretty passionate about this. Um, so when I talk about it, I like to encourage people to imagine that in any conversation between 
it's me and another person, to imagine there's an arrow that is between us. And this arrow will just point to whoever is the focus of the conversation at any moment in time. So here's how this works. Let's say someone says to me, in a conversation, someone says, hey, we traveled to Kansas over Thanksgiving, and we had a really bad snowstorm on the way back. So in the initial conversation, the arrow, it's obviously on them. They're talking about their trip. Now, as a listener, I can respond in one of two ways. Yeah, we traveled back from Thanksgiving, too. We got kind of some rain, but we didn't get snow. So notice what I just did. I took the arrow, and I pointed it on me. It, it shifted from the person initially speaking, it, it shifted to me. I heard what they said, and then I shifted the conversation to my own story, my own situation. Okay, that's one option. But what if, after they had mentioned their travel, their trip from Kansas, what if I would have said, wow, that sounds dangerous. How was it, how was it driving in snow? What was that like? See, notice how I kept the arrow. They, they made a bid by their comment. They wanted to connect with me. They made a bid. And so I kept the arrow on them, and I just asked another question. That's what good listeners do. They set aside their snow story to focus on what the other person initially said and to ask questions and to explore and be curious about that which then gives an opportunity for a relationship that is going to be about much more than the weather. If all your conversations about weather, you know, maybe, you know, it's about listening, okay? Uh, it might be something you really want to practice because when we just bounce from story to story and the arrow just keeps bouncing back and forth, we never go deep with anyone. But when I focus on what they, wow, how was it? That was really, that might have been really scary. Yeah, it was, you know, just so then I'm, it enables things much beyond the weather forecast to begin to surface and we can actually have a, a, con a connection at a heart level. See, how many times in conversations does someone say something and our initial, our in instinctive initial response is to share about something similar that happened to us? We're just shifting the focus to us. I, I was at the post office the other day waiting in line. Um, the, the woman in front of me recognized the woman behind me. And, and this woman in front of me said, hey, I became a grandma since the last time we saw each other. The response of the woman behind me, well, I've had two grandkids since then. Now, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I totally get it. I'm not trying to criticize this person, but I'm just, do, do you see the dynamic of what just happened? Here is a woman celebrating something incredibly powerful that happened. She became a grandma. And the response was, well, I, it's almost like this, can you top this? Sometimes conversations, they feel like, can you top this contests? Oh, you got a story about snow? I had six inches of snow in my trip to wherever. You know, I mean, it's just, sometimes that's what's happening. And we're missing these opportunities to connect with people, to love people, to celebrate what they're celebrating, the birth of a grandbaby. And then eventually we can get to our story, but wow, that's so awesome, congratulations. Hey, and you know what's really cool? We had you know, two grandkids also. See how that works? At least there was initial focus on this other person. That's how good listening happens. It's by keeping the arrow on the person. Because here, here's the problem. What happens is when, we, when, we're, when we're not good listeners, what happens is over time, people will just stop sharing deep things with us. 
Because they know we're not really interested in what they're saying. We're just looking for a way to jump into what we want to say. And that just shuts down people from even sharing with us. So in a healthy relationship, there is this interplay of good listening, where one person shares, and they, and, 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 and they, they share something, and the other person's like, oh, tell me more about that. And I'm really curious. Tell me more. How did that feel? And so it's, it's one-sided initially, so this person feels hurt. And then the other person says, hey, this is what's going on. And, 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 and then the, the second person is able to do the same thing. That's what a healthy conversation looks like. It's not... This, oh, that happened to me. Oh, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And it's not a can you top this episode, right? It is, it is an opportunity for a love that's not self-seeking. And when love is not self-seeking, when we actually listen, connections happen. We actually pour into our relationships in a significant way because this person feels heard and seen. And then we also feel heard and seen because we're both practicing good listening. Man, this is a, it's, it's, at some level it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. But it can pour life into our relationships. And it becomes this laboratory every day, multiple times. We have an opportunity to do exactly what Paul's saying. We have an opportunity to practice a love that is not self-seeking by practicing good listening. Being curious, asking questions, being curious about this other person and what they're saying. All right, the fifth enemy of love, Paul mentions, is unforgiveness. Look at verse five. It, love, keeps no record of wrongs. What a powerful statement. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, so what's the opposite of that? It's keeping a record of wrongs, right? We have our list of ways this person hurt us, and we got that, you know, we're checking that list and, you know, whatever. We're creating this list, and we're holding on to that list, and we're holding it over their head, and we're waiting for the apology or whatever. Now, look, this is where it gets really tricky because at some level, we have every right to do this. They hurt us. We have every right to hold on to this. But here, here's the problem. When we keep records of wrongs, here's the problem. That decision that we make to hold on to that hurt, it does something inside of us. It does something inside of us. It starts releasing into our hearts toxins like resentment and bitterness and anger. It starts kind of building a wall around our heart, creating distance in all of our relationships. Unforgiveness is a relational poison that will undermine and damage our capacity for connection. It's that serious. And this is the irony, right? Part of the reason we struggle to forgive someone who hurt us and we wanna keep a record of wrongs, part of the reason we struggle with forgiveness is because we feel like we're letting this person off the hook. If I get rid of this list I have against them, I'm letting them off the hook. But in reality, we're the one in the prison of hurt, not them. We're the one in the prison of our own hurts. As one person has said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was you. You were the prisoner because you were holding on to this list of wrongs and hanging that, holding it over their head, waiting for them to do something before you're gonna, do you see what that does? It does something to us. 
it damages our capacity to love. Love, Paul says, keeps no record of wrongs. How, do, how does it do that? By bringing each offense to the cross and leaving it there. See, this is, the Christian, again, has, we, we have a unique way to deal with these issues in our lives. It's, it's, it, we have Jesus, right? This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not about letting, uh, it's not about forgiving, uh, for, excuse me, not about forgetting that this ever happened, oh, it's no big, it's not about minimizing, oh, don't forget, it's, it's no big deal. No, that's not what forgiveness is. It's not about that. Pretending like it didn't happen, ignoring the pain. No, no, no. Forgiveness is to fully acknowledge the pain. Man, that really hurt when that person said that. It's to fully acknowledge the hurt, and then we bring it to the cross, and we leave it there. And when we do that, our heart is freed. So how do we find the strength to forgive, to love in this way, to forgive in this way? Well, look at what Paul says, Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, check this out, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, notice, we are to forgive others, not because they deserve it, but because Christ has forgiven us for all of our sins and all the ways that we have hurt others. See, all of our sins have been washed away in his blood. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't keep any record of our wrongs. So who are we to keep a record of wrongs for others who have hurt us? Genuine love forgives. It chooses to let go of our right to hold this against this person. And instead, we bring the pain and the offense to the cross. We bring it to Jesus. Is this easy? No. Sometimes it is excruciatingly difficult. But it's so worth it because it sets our heart free to love. Now, I realize there are some offenses where forgiveness um, feels impossible because of the nature of the offense and how horrible it was. I get it. Look, if you find yourself in a place where you know you need to forgive someone, but you don't feel like you can, I encourage you Sign up for a Hope Abounds prayer time. Just connect with one of our pastors on our staff. See a Christian therapist to help you walk through that. Your heart needs to forgive for your own sake and for the sake of your relationships. Okay, so in this passage, Paul has identified for us five specific enemies of love, five specific things that will undermine our relationships. Envy, pride, dishonoring others, self-centeredness, and unforgiveness. So let me just ask, is there one particular, one of those in particular, that you realize is negatively impacting your relationships? And, and, and what would it look like to bring that to Jesus, to acknowledge the struggle, and to ask him to help you love the way he loves? This is not something we can do in our own power. For some of us, we have only known relationships that have been characterized by these enemies of love. We, we don't even, we've never had it even modeled for us what Paul's talking about in terms of genuine love. And that's okay. It's okay. Because we have a Savior who loves us the way Paul is describing here. He is patient with us. He is kind toward us. His love is not proud or self-seeking. He will never dishonor you or hold your sins over your head. He is compassionate and merciful and forgiving. This is how he loves you. So from that reservoir of his love, you and I can love 
others in the same way. All right, well, let's, let's stand as we open our hearts to respond to the word. So in just a moment, if you're able to stand, please stand. If you're not able, that's totally fine. Just remain seated, and we're just going to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to just remind you here, maybe this is kind of new to some of you, all we're doing is quieting our hearts, and we're paying attention to the thoughts that come to our minds, because often the thoughts that come to our minds, it's the Holy Spirit reminding us of something. He uses language that feels like our thoughts when we ask him. And so we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And as we do that, I want to encourage you to open your heart and your mind and just let him speak about a relationship or a particular thing he's asking you, a particular response. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now and just to speak to us. Father, I want to pray for those places, specific places in our relationships where you're bringing things to mind about the words we use, or maybe about pride, or maybe about our listening and our tendency to be self-seeking, or maybe it's about forgiveness. God, would you, would you move into these places as we look to you, Jesus? And I pray that you would give us, through your love, give us the power to love that way. And to humble ourselves when there are places and relationships we've not done that. If we need to apologize, if we need to ask for forgiveness, to do that, Lord. That we would be a people who courageously pursue love in our relationships. So I'm praying for that, Lord. I'm praying for breakthrough. As I was praying before the service with um, some intercessors, I had a picture, actually something happened to me today that I actually think is, is a picture of relationships. It's kind of gross, but it's about a Roto-Rooter experience we had. But anyway, our, our kitchen sink was blocked up and the guy came out and he had to feed like 80 feet of line because there was some clog like 80 feet away and the way it happened he said was just over time just eggshells or whatever gets 
you know, in there, and then it kind of dries, and it gets stuck, and then it begins to build. So eventually, everything gets plugged up. So the analogies are all over the place, right? Sometimes we, we let, when we don't address things, they just build and build and build until then there's a major thing. That's one way. The other thing he said was, hey, anytime you use the disposal, just run the water for a while just to let that stuff actually just kind of flow and, and get rid of, get, get, get away there. And I just thought, oh, that's spiritually, I think that's such helpful advice the water of the Holy Spirit, just keeping short accounts and, and that in our relationships, we would continue to run to Jesus so that things don't build up, build and build over time, but we're, we're, we're conduits for his love. And so I just wanna pray for that for all of us, God. Conduits of your love, short accounts, that you would help us love the way you love us and that you would pour into relationships as a result. Thank you. Thank you, God. So we're going to continue to worship. and This time is the Holy Spirit's time to continue to speak and to move. Let's just open our hearts to whatever he wants to do as we're singing. He may want to continue to be speaking to you about something. And, and also, we want to invite you to come forward. If you, would just, if you just step forward and stand up here, anywhere along here, our prayer team is available. And we'd love to come alongside and, and just bless whatever God's doing. If you're sensing the Holy Spirit doing something, and you just come up front and we'd love to bless what God's doing. And then we'll, if, if we hear something from, that we think is from the Lord, we'll share that with you and you can pray into that. So, Holy Spirit, this time is yours. Continue to move in us and speak to us. We love you, God. Hey friends, wherever you're at coming out of this message today, we want you to know you are not alone and we would love to journey with you. If you want to talk or you need some prayer, uh, we have people on a chat button on our website that you can go to, click on that, and we have people there that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you, process with you. Um, so be sure to do that. Also again, like and subscribe um, if you enjoy the content that we have coming out and we will see you next week.